everyone. Welcome to the Launch Podcast. I'm Jeff Carpenter, Director of Residence Life. And I'm Carissa Church, the CCI Internship Coordinator, and we're your hosts. College graduation can always be a difficult season of life, but the senior class of 2020 faces a truly unique challenge as they launch their careers in the midst of the great pause. Launch is a podcast for graduating seniors that offers practical and spiritual insight for navigating this transition from college student to full adult. On today's episode, we have the privilege of welcoming Dan Tyman, a familiar face around campus. He's been on many of the Instagram campus bingos that I've seen going around is whether or not you've received a hug from Mr. Tyman. He's also newly appointed executive vice president for Campus Life. So Dan would love actually if you could walk us through a little bit of what that's going to look like for you. Um, and also if you'd be willing to share a little bit of what your history and experience has been like that have led you to this role at Gordon. Sure. No, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yes. So the um, the executive vice president for Campus Life is a new position. It's actually taking the uh, vice president of student life position and combining it with um, my uh, role over CCI and cell and then also bringing in um, human resources uh, the alumni office and parent relations. So it's really uh, an opportunity to bring together all the main constituents of the college um, into one organization. And so I try to think of it in terms of rather than just care for the student body, it's really care of all of our constituents that are important to Gordon. And I'm just really excited to have the opportunity to be in this role. My background, I'm an electrical engineer. Uh, I went to Tufts University. And uh, after I graduated from Tufts, I started as a test engineer um, for AT&T, which was the national phone company. It was actually a monopoly, which was broken up three years after I uh, went to AT&T. I was at AT&T for 18 years, um, the last three years actually being Lucent Technologies. And so I worked in manufacturing. I started as an engineer and worked my way up into running uh, production lines and then eventually factories all around the world. So sort of at, at my peak responsibility, I had about 5,000 employees and three or four continents making billions of dollars worth of basically today we would call internet uh, equipment. And then um, in 2000, the year 2000, I was recruited away from Lucent by Cisco Systems out in San Jose. I actually was asked to purchase and start a factory in New Hampshire. So an East Coast factory for Cisco Systems. And I was there for almost six years. I was 19, I was 18, almost 19 years with AT&T Lucent, and then almost six years with Cisco. It's 25 years total in manufacturing. And um, at Cisco, um, started a factory after three years. We actually outsourced the factory to China, uh, so closed the factory in New Hampshire. And then it was at that point I really realized that manufacturing in this country was never going to be the same. Uh, it was actually all being done overseas. And uh, I thought it was time to make a career change. And it's a long story, but the short version is the Lord gave me an opportunity to come to Gordon. My first role at Gordon was chief technical officer and uh, chief fundraiser for the Ken Olson Science Center. And so I've been at Gordon now 15 years. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Dan. That's just cool to hear a little bit of your story. And so as you know, the, the conversation we're diving into today is kind of exploring this idea of faith in the workplace mm -hmm. and what it looks like, you know, as our seniors are preparing to graduate and enter a, the workforce, wherever that may be, what it really looks like to take this 
Christian liberal arts education and apply that in a meaningful way to the workplace and to the jobs and to the calling and vocation that they believe God is leading them toward. So I'd love if you could start by just sharing a little bit about your perspective on work, kind of walk us through maybe how your experiences have shaped your perception of work. Sure. Yeah, I I would say that I really view work as um, a fundamental part of my relationship with God and my purpose here on earth. And so I, I find a lot, I get a lot of joy in the actual work I do. But then I also get a lot of joy and fulfillment out of the relationships that I can make um, in my job, but also the impact that I believe I'm having, um, you know, coming for the common good because of the work that I do. So whether it's telecommunications products for the world or it's educating young Christians, I mean, those are those are both noble tasks. And uh, so I think that's a almost like a form of worship to the Lord using my gifts and talents in that way. But at the same time, the the people you work with and deal with is an opportunity to impact people's lives and, and to be impacted and grow yourself as a Christian. And um, so, I, you know, I certainly know my peers in the secular world didn't think of work that way. Although I will say that many of them felt it was a value to the common good, but they, I, they certainly would not have thought of it in a more eternal perspective or, you know, in a, a Christ focused perspective. So how would you say that you approach that impact and influence that you have in your coworker relationships? Yeah, I think so. Let's first go back to, you know, if I go to secular when I was in uh, a secular environment, people knew I was a Christian, but it wasn't something that I wore out front. I mean, it was not in so much what I you know, said in terms of my witness to Christ, but it was certainly in the way that I did my work. And so, um, you know, having, having integrity in the workplace is something that's really valued, um, in the secular world. And I think even more now than ever, when you think about, you know, things even all the way back to Enron and other things that were, where the integrity of decision makers, uh, bankrupted companies. And so integrity is an important factor. Um, not that non-Christians don't have integrity as well. Um, but I think, um, you know, as Christians, certainly that's something that is a key character, should be a key characteristic. And then I think the other was that just, um, watching the way I made decisions, handle stress, uh, disappointments, you know, not getting a promotion, those kinds of things. I'm not, again, I'm human. So not that I did it perfectly, but I do believe that, you know, because of Christ that I, I could handle it in a different way and have a different perspective about what failure might mean. Um, or what would be presumed as um, a setback actually could be um, something that actually kind of catapults you forward because it presents another opportunity. And I know it's interesting because um, I would find that people would come to me and say things like, you know, Dan, I know you know God, or I know you're religious. You know, would you be willing to pray pray for my mother and father because I don't know God or I don't have access to God. And it just gave a lot of open doors to be able to uh, just uh, extend the hand of Christ and also maybe share the gospel if the relationship got to that point. And so, um, you know, I think that that was a way that my Christian faith could sort of be um, put in place in the secular world. I think in, in a place like Gordon, where we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, it's it's still as brothers and sisters in Christ as ways to encourage each other and challenge each other and 
and even, um, you know, if there are something that we see in a brother or sister that we think they should um, face and maybe change, do that in a loving way. You know, I find I was saying to somebody today going through these difficult times at Gordon is it's just such um, such a gift to be working with peers who are looking at the problem of uh, the you know COVID-19 pandemic and the impact on the business and so on and so forth. Not just as a business, but really what, you know, what would the Lord have us do? I mean, what's, what's the thing to do that shows compassion and shows care and then trust that the business aspects will work out, but at the same time, not ignore the business aspects because we also have a responsibility to be good at the business of what we do as well. I would love to, to hear, because, you know, as, as we've been talking and you, and you've mentioned this a couple of times, and it's easy, you know, for us as Christians, maybe to say, oh, the secular workplace is that place where all of the things that are bad about the workplace are contained. And the Christian workplace is a workplace where all the things that are good are contained. That's not necessarily the case. I would wonder if maybe there is an anecdote or something that stands out to you as you look back at your experience of a way that you maybe even really experienced the common grace of God through a coworker who maybe didn't know God, but was able to touch your life in a really meaningful way or, you know, extend a, a helping hand in a moment when you really needed it. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll start by saying, and I always clarify this with people. I loved my 25, 25 year career in the corporate world. And there was nothing about it that I didn't like. Um, there were moments of course that I, you know, um, I didn't like certain things, but I mean, I'm so thankful for the opportunities I had, for the things I was able to accomplish, the teams I was on, the people I still call great friends, um, you know, and most of them not Christians. And so, um, you know, for those of you who are going into the secular workplace, that's not like a second choice. I mean, it it can be a really great career and uh, you may never work in a Christian environment. Now it's such a pleasure to now be in a Christian environment as well. So I just feel blessed I've had both, but, um, but Jeff, to your question, yeah, I, I can think about, so, um, when I was, um, so about five years into my career as an engineer, I was identified as what they would call like a high flyer, somebody who they thought had strong management potential. And so they had a program that would accelerate our careers, um, a couple of levels very quickly, but a lot of the big corporations back then, I don't think it's that much the case now, but back then you really had to sign up to be owned by the company. And so they would intentionally move you because they wanted to see you in different settings, different product lines, different parts of the country and so on and so forth. So I got moved to Columbus, Ohio. And uh, again, it's a long, interesting story about how that happened and some of the consequences, but I won't go into that. But one of the consequences was it really turned out not to be a good move for my wife and um, our daughter, Sarah, Sarah Welch, who many of you know, um, she was two when we moved and my wife had been dealing with postpartum depression, um, from her birth. Sarah's was our first and our only child. And, um, and so going to Ohio and being away from families, my wife's an identical twin. So being apart from her twin for the first time, just basically to say it was a bit of a disaster in terms of her mental health and the impact it had on her. And so, um, I had to, um, make a decision to ask to be, to move back to Massachusetts. Well, you know, my boss, my boss who I left in Massachusetts and my boss in Ohio both said, you know, Dan, we'll help you with this, but you, you know, your career is over if you do this. I mean, it'll show a weakness to the company that you can't 
be somebody who they move around. And so you'll be viewed a bit of as liability. And so, um, you know, your career will plateau where, you know, where it is. Well, I knew that at this point it didn't matter. And I just really said, Lord, I, you know, my wife and my family is much more important and I just need to trust you. And so I'll go back. So they transferred me back and, um, they did, they did. Uh, so I got promoted to go to Ohio. They did, um, let me keep my promotion, but they put me in a product line that was, um, you know, pretty much old technology that was not really a place that someone, you know, my aspirations would want to be, but I was just happy to get a job back there. Well, um, within a couple of days, I bumped into, um, a guy I had worked, I had just done some projects for, he was at one level above me. And, um, he asked me why I was back and I explained, and, and it was a short conversation. The next day I got called by, by my boss to see his boss and, um, his boss, his boss as well. So it was like a couple of levels above me and, and they called me into what was called mahogany row back then. That's where all the executives sat. And my thought was, Oh no, somebody at the top of the house isn't happy with the fact that they brought me back and it's going to tell me I've lost my job or something. Well, what happened was the guy I happened to bump into had just been put on the top new technology product. And he had asked for me to move into his group because he said, well, if Dan Timon's here, why would we waste him on this other product line? Let's put him in this other one. And, um, and so that move ended up catapulting my career. I got promoted like three or four times in the next like eight years, much faster than if I had been in this high, this high flyer program and moved all around the country because the technology was so important and it was just a good fit for me. But this, this guy, Wayne Bruyere, not a believer, but the Lord used him in such an instrumental way in my career. Um, but really, I think, you know, I look back and again, I don't take any credit for this. It's all the Lord, but I think me sort of humbly submitting to the fact that, okay, in my pride, I would want to say, come on to my wife. Can't we just tough it out? And, you know, it's only another year, so on and so forth. But, but the Lord really blessed, blessed that and used, you know, used a non-believing coworker, or in this case, he was my superior, but. So you were just talking a lot about the transition and sort of where you're called to be. And I'm curious what your perspective is on sort of this calling and vocation trend going on right now. Because a lot of students, I think, feel they need to have it figured out right now. And they need to be focusing on achieving this one goal, but they don't see it as this long term calling that you know, is going to be changing at all times. So what's your like theory or perspective on that? Yeah. When I talk to students about, you know, what they should look for in their first job, I always say, you know, look out five to 10 years and think about where you want to be in five to 10 years and then start thinking about, okay, what, what are the resume, what do you need in your resume so that you're the best candidate for that job five to 10 years from now? And in some ways, maybe that's, you know, thinking about what's my calling because it's unlikely your first job out of college is going to match, you know, your, your calling, or at least the sort of the full view of what your calling is. But there are all the different experiences and jobs you have along the way. And even the failures in particular, the failures are going to be things that help you sort of build that resume, but also build the character and the experiences that you need to get there. I mean, when I look at, you know, it's almost laughable if you look at my resume to think that I'm in the role that I'm in. I mean, I'm a, I have a bachelor's in electrical engineering. I've never gotten an advanced degree. I'm probably the most, 
you know, non-academic person, if that's even an English word, a non-academic person at Gordon College, you know, and I'm in the role that I'm in. Well, it's because God has given me so many experiences. I mean, you know, I I really believe my calling is to invest in young people um, who are going through through a time of transition. That's I really believe that's my calling. And Gordon, what better place to do it than Gordon College? But what gives me the right to do it at Gordon College? It's because I can bring experiences that will help the process and the organization and the profitability and so on and so forth. So, you know, it took 25 years to get here, but it wasn't a wasted 25 years. Um, but, you know, so was I, was my, when I was working in a factory, was that my calling? I think it was, yes, because that's where the Lord wanted me at the time, but it wasn't ultimately sort of my mission or, you know, if I was to say, what's my mission statement of my life, I don't think it was making internet routers, but. So it sounds to me, Dan, like you're kind of describing maybe two, I don't know if it's more differentiated by time or, or what exactly, but there's maybe a difference between a specific direction by God in a moment or a season of life and a long-term vision for what you want to do. What is your kind of overarching purpose? Do you have any maybe thoughts for seniors on how, I guess maybe we'll start with how, how do you kind of determine what is your overarching purpose? Like that's a, that's a pretty big conversation, right? Do do you think a lot of college students are really in a place to know that by the time that they graduate, or is that something that you discern over the course of time and experiences and small steps of faithfulness? Yeah. I think in most cases you would not know it when you were a senior in college. I mean, I think there are some who know they're called to preach or they're, um, you know, called to something else and, and, you know, likely they'll fulfill that. I think it's really, but I, I do think that you would have a sense for, you know, what is your gifting? And I think that's certainly a piece, you know, a piece of, I think it would fit in with your calling. Um, is how are you gifted? You know, I've heard, you know, a lot of people will say, well, it's what you're passionate about. I mean, I I think that could be part of it, but I think you could be passionate about something that maybe isn't your calling, but it's probably going to be a component of it. But I do think that even your first job is part of God's plan. So I think that thinking about like, what is God, what is God's plan for me? And maybe that, I don't, know what the good technical language is, but maybe what I planned for me is for my first job is different than what's my calling, but the plan is sort of leading to leading to the fulfillment of the calling. Hey all, Jeff here. You'll notice Dan's microphone quality dropped significantly for the second half of our conversation. We had technical difficulties with the video call and he had to dial in from his cell. Now back to our conversation. So something you were just talking about or what we've been talking about is faith in the workplace and we have gotten into what are the students currently going through as seniors graduating and I think the biggest struggle for them right now is just the uncertainty and I'm curious you know what kind of advice or sort of ways that you think faith can play into these types of moments of just pure uncertainty and pure need for patience. Yeah, I think uh, to answer your question, I think in terms of, um, you know, uh, how do we, how how is trusting the Lord important in where seniors are today? I think of a time when, uh, when I was at Lucent near the end of my tenure there, 
where I, I knew that I had to leave. And it was uh, around issues of integrity of the company that I felt I was, I had spoken up against enough and was being drowned out basically and not heard. And um, I felt uh, ineffective as a leader and thought the only way I could really um, make a statement would be to resign. And so um, I was preparing to do that, but at the same time wondering how would I ever get a job like the one I have? I mean, I had been 18 years at a company working my way up, you know, from an engineer. And so, so much, you know, uh, really felt that my rise up the corporate ladder was because of my performance. So, not my education, I only had a bachelor's in electrical engineering. I had never completed an advanced degree beyond that. Um, but I just knew that that's what I needed to do. And so I just had to trust the Lord that he wouldn't let me down on the other side. I mean, at that point, I was in my early 40s. But out of nowhere, or you know, certainly not in God's economy, but in my own, uh, Cisco Systems, who was, is really was and still is, but like the powerhouse in the whole telecommunications, uh, internet uh, equipment business, they called me and said they were they needed someone to take over a large business of theirs and start a, a, co- a business on the East Coast. They're a West Coast company, San Jose based. So I ended up interviewing for it, and they actually doubled my salary from what I was making at Lucent to step into a job that was one level above the job I had that I had left. So I got promoted, doubled my salary, and went to a company whose culture was very much in line with the culture that I wanted to be a part of. And um, and so, you know, God just showed me that really just waiting, trusting, you know, not not panicking, knowing that his timing wasn't necessarily my timing. You know, I love I love the verse that um, you know talks about how God will do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. And so I think for seniors right now who are you know in the situation, one senior said to me the other day, she said we went from what we were told was the best job market to ever graduate into to the worst job market overnight. And she's right. I mean, you know, companies aren't hiring. Um, they don't even know when they're going to open again. You know, or if they're even going to survive. And so um, it is a time of waiting, but it's a great opportunity to step back and say, okay, Lord, but what are some things that I could do with this time that I might never have the opportunity if I jump right into my career? And so maybe it's, you know, pick up a skill or take a short course on something or someone I was talking to the other day was saying they decided they were going to really learn the piano. They played, but they wanted to play well. So they were going to use the time to play the piano. I mean, it's something that right now seems maybe irrelevant or insignificant, but it could become very significant. You might meet somebody in a class who says, wow, you were really sharp. I, you know, I've got a company or I know somebody has a company. You just, you just don't know. And so I think um, not seeing any of this as wasted time or lost time. Now, I know there's pressure to pay loans and things like that, but um, in the, lo- the long scheme of your life, those things will become insignificant. Um, they just seem very significant now. Yeah, I think that's some of the wisdom of, you know, take this, take this the right way, Dan, as respectfully, but it's the wisdom of age, right? Like for a younger person, I mean, I don't know whether I'm young anymore or not. I'm not quite 30. So I guess maybe I'm still young. (laughs) But for a younger person like myself, the next two years seems like such a long period of time in my life. And it's so significant. But I, you know, looking back on things, it's so much easier to see clearly what God's been doing and to realize that what maybe seems so important in the moment was actually not the most important thing. Um, and God has a way of reminding us of those things, I think. And I think that 
you know, being able to listen to the perspective of those who have been through something like this before and have come out and seen God's faithfulness on the other side is one of the most important ways that we can be reminded that we're not our own safety net, that God's our, God is really our safety net and that ultimately we can trust that he, he will work it out. And that sounds like such a cliche Christian thing to say, but it's the truth, right? Like that's the only reason we have hope is because we really do believe that God is going to take care of us. Yeah. That he closed the lilies of the field and how much more valuable are you than they? It makes, makes me think of Psalm 77, which I heard preached actually Gordon grad. She preached um, over the summer on Psalm 77 and we went, we went to support her, but Psalm 77, it's, you know, and I, I really recommend that all seniors, you know, read it, anybody read it, but you know, the Psalmist who's not actually David in this particular Psalm, but starts off by saying, you know, where are you, Lord? You've abandoned us. Have you turned your back on us? You know, so, so on and so forth. And then it's around well, halfway through, maybe around verses 15 to 20 or somewhere there, it says, but then I remember. And then he talks about how God parted the Red Sea and, you know, so on and so forth. And then just says, how, you know, how can I now doubt you in this current circumstance, no matter how bad it is, when I've been in even worse circumstances? And you've shown your faithfulness. And so, of course, I'm going to trust that you're faithful. And so I think that's um, you know, really the perspective that um, you know, as Christians we need to have. How cool is it that we're, as coworkers, actually able to have these kinds of conversations? Um, and that makes me think, like, you know, it is such a difference that we can have this comfort in our workforce to be able to have these types of conversations. I'm curious, you know, just in in comparison, what do you see as differences in those workplace environments from a Christian or just Gordon in general to any of your previous places? Well, you, you just you probably hit the nail on the head with the most significant, which is really that we have the perspective of God's sovereignty and his grace of you know Christ covering our sins. And so in in all the things that happen, even even the worst you know, the, the worst thing that might happen in the, in the business of Gordon, we can collectively say, okay, but there's a, there's a plan for Gordon. There's a plan for us. I mean, if I was to lose my job, the perspective I hope I would have from, because of the past is okay, Lord, you must have something else you want me to do. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time worrying about what I just lost. I'm going to instead be ready for what you have next, because I know you're not going to waste the gifts, the experiences, the talents that you've given me, I mean, that's not who you are. And so, all right, um, it, it's a hard way to leave, but it must, there must be a purpose in it. And again, that's, you know, when I think about leaving um, Lucent, if I hadn't run into these integrity issues that were really serious issues, I mean, I never would have left. Well, I never would have left. I never would have ended up at Gordon. I mean, you know, it would have been a different path maybe, but it's not likely I would have. I would have spent 40 years in AT&T Lucent. Um, and so um, I think that's the big thing is just the, you know, common understanding of who we are in perspective of, you know, our, our Lord. Um, just as maybe kind of a closing question as we get to wrapping things up. One thing that's we talk about a lot is this idea of the Gordon bubble. And so you know, there, there's, there's something that's so wonderful about having this environment that is uniquely Christian and we're able to be comfortable having these conversations with coworkers. And I think as a student, you spend 
four years here. I didn't go to Gordon for my undergrad, but I went to a Christian private liberal arts institution. So a similar sort of experience. There's a certain sort of comfort that you fall into that the people you interact with on a daily basis speak your language, right? They, they get your idioms, they get your kind of your Christianese. How would you, what are some things maybe you would say like a couple tips for students graduating as they emerge from that to engage well with coworkers and peers and suddenly a bunch of relationships that may not speak this common language. And that can be a pretty jarring transition. It can be, you know, a disorienting experience. So wondering what maybe are some practical advice you would give to folks who are stepping out of the bubble into the quote unquote real world and how to approach that well. Yeah, I, I think first of all, I would I would not go in with fear or a thought that I have to change it all. I mean, you know, it's who you are that's going to, you know, walking out your life and your work in terms of who you are is is the best, you know, is the best way to go about things. And so I think starting from that perspective, but then quickly realizing, you know, it's really re- sort of like reading your audience and sort of getting a sense for, okay, well, how how is the language different? How is the perspective different? And how do I maybe need to um, adjust professionally, not not in any way to undermine your your you know morals or ethics, but I mean just to get a sense for what the language is. So it's maybe it's a lot of listening at first, not just kind of launching into to conversations or discussions um, that would you know where your faith would come out more strongly, but also not not hiding it. I mean, I think you want to be identified in the secular world as someone who's a person of faith, but, you know, and again, different people will characterize it in different ways. Are you religious? or you, you know, however they might characterize it, but just being aware that it's different and then starting to maybe you might, you know, you might, you might find out by getting burned a little bit in a situation and where someone maybe doesn't accept the way that you approach something or the um, language you used or, trusting God or, you know, make, they may think you're foolish or, or whatever. But I, I think, you know, be willing to take a few of the bumps along the way and then adjust accordingly, but not in a way that compromises your faith, but also respect that, you know, when you go into the workplace um, and it's not a Christian workplace, then you need to respect that others aren't Christians. And so I think showing that respect is a way also to show Christ's love by being respecting, being respectful in that way. But then I think also that surround yourself with the Christian community because like you do, you do want to, at the end of the day, be able to go back to an apartment with Christian friends or a church or a small group or something where you can be reassured and sort of encouraged and, and even bring back and reflect to people and say, Hey, you know, I have this boss who really is offended at my faith, you know, my faith. How do I deal with that? Probably having a mentor or a discipler who's, who's older and has been through some of these things, or you know, hopefully maybe it's even your parents who, who have been in the, in the workplace and can encourage you or an older sibling or something. Yeah, I actually totally echo that last point because at my last job, I was in a similar position and it was actually an advisor of the company who just so frankly was like, you need to address all of the problems you have and be prepared to deal with whatever answer you get and whatever reaction you get. And that's totally up to you and totally up to your character to decide if it's okay or not. Um, And that was 
monumental for me and actually what caused my transition to this job as well. So I can totally agree that it's important to have other sort of outside voices in speaking into your life and to have that kind of perspective. Thanks again so much for being here. We really appreciate all of the insight that you're able to pour into these students. And thank you to the listeners for joining us. And we'll see you next time.